It is good to be here with you all, and uh, I'm excited for what the Lord's going to do. Why don't you take your Bibles and get over to Daniel, and we're going to spend some time in Daniel. Uh, we traveled up last night after just kicking off our uh, new year, and our theme this, this year is Hope in God from Psalm 43 and verse number 5. We need to set our sights on God, have confident expectation in Him. So I missed being with you all last night, caught the message from last night. What a blessing and uh, what a good truth to be uh, reminded of to always be uh, keeping right relationships. What uh, the Lord has burdened me to do during this time and during the sessions that I have is to take us through the first six chapters of Daniel. Daniel lived in an incredibly uh, pagan society. In fact, I titled this Living in Babylon, Lessons from the Life of Daniel. Uh, We live in Babylon. It is amazing to me what is happening in our country all around us. Uh, the, the, the world in which you're going to minister, pastor, be pastor's wives, travel in as evangelists, go as missionaries, is an increasingly godless world. It's always been godless, always been uh, you know, against God, but it certainly seems that there's just been such a, a rise in that. Do you sense that in your spirit? Do you sense that? You're going to have to talk back to me a little bit, or, uh, or, it, or I'll get a little bit, um, well, it'll just be difficult. So you just talk back to me, help me out, say amen once in a while. And I've finally, I think, gotten a, an Ohio church to actually uh, to, to speak back and to say amen and to, to respond in that way. So we're up in uh, Wisconsin now and we're a little quiet and, and so on. But anyway, don't you feel that a little bit in your spirit? Don't you feel all around us just that, that, that onset of godlessness? So as I look at the book of Daniel, I just realized here's a, here's a man, a young man, that learned to live right and godly early on, and God used them in a powerful way over a great span of time. So what I want to invest in you is really just that. God can use you, no matter where you came from as a family, no matter what you've been through, God can use you even in this day. And so I want us to look at Daniel chapter number one, and uh, before we start and read the first eight verses, let's just bow and ask the Lord to speak to us this afternoon. Would you pray with me right now as you bow? Would you ask the Lord... Would you ask the Lord to speak to you, and would you give him permission to do so? And I would encourage you to tell him that anything he speaks to you about, you will act on, you will respond to. Our Father, we are bowed together here this afternoon. And you've already invested into us. You've already given us your word. And it's been good. And again, we come to your word today. We open it up. We're privileged people to have your word. And we open it up and we ask that you would speak to us. That your word would be, would be nourishment for our souls. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. I acknowledge that personally. Lord, apart from you and apart from your word, I have nothing to give Uh, to these students, to these ministers of yours. Lord, I pray that you'd enable me to be a blessing and to be a help and an encouragement. Lord, most of all, would you take your word and would you allow it to to edify us, to grow us in yourself. And so, Lord, today, would you accomplish what you would like and would uh, you just guide this time together. May we be open to your working, whatever whatever you show us, and would we respond? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Look there at Daniel chapter number one and verse number one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he would bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding in science and such as had ability to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom... The prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And I want us all to read verse number eight together. You know it well. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. It's very interesting here that that the book of Daniel opens up uh, really with uh, a time of chastisement upon God's people. They had sinned against him again, and uh, there was a chastisement that brought about captivity. Uh, There was sin in their lives that they were not willing to deal with as the nation of Israel and it brought about bondage in the land of Babylon. They were carried away in that that bondage or that captivity. And it's interesting that sin always brings captivity. Sin always will bring captivity. Now, you notice this word here, this name here, Jehoiakim. uh, This was the third year of his reign, and he's a very interesting individual. Uh, He was a a man who uh, despised the word of God, despised God, and, and Daniel grew up in that environment with a king that did not love God. Certainly we know world leaders today and leaders in our own country that despise the word of God. They want nothing to do with God or the name of Jesus. In this time, there were other prophets that were prophesying, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Haggai, and they're preaching the word of God. Yet Israel was running as fast as it could away from the word of God and forgetting it. And so Daniel was in in that environment and and God allowed the the captivity or Nebuchadnezzar to come over and to begin to take them away, take out of the land great potential that was there. And history allows us to have a bigger picture of all that was going on at that point, just to realize the different um, people and events that were involved. And we'll look at that in a moment. But we do need to realize this, that as Daniel was taken out of that land and brought over into another, another land that was even more wicked, Uh, it is important for us to realize that his 
convictions or his, his, his life, his godliness would be challenged. And it was going to be very important for Daniel to hold on to his convictions, to not move in what he had been taught by his, by his parents. They were going to be tested in, uh, severely in many different ways. Every time he turned around in that pagan environment, it was going to be tested what he was taught from the word of God and what he knew um, uh, from his parents' teaching. And so one of the things I want to really accomplish today is, is this thought. Uh, when you do live in Babylon or in a pagan society, your challenges are going to be unavoidable. Listen, you're going to get out into the, the ministry, and even now as you, you take breaks and as you, you minister right here in this, in this city, your challenges will be unavoidable. But we must make sure that our convictions remain unmovable. You have to know where you stand. This isn't a five years from now thing. You need to know where you stand now. It is time to get into the word of God now and know where you stand. You're going to be tested on it. And uh, Satan certainly is going to bring some of those tests into your life. God's going to allow those tests in your life. And I want us to realize Daniel and his friends were, were about to be tested in greater ways than they'd ever been tested before. Away from home, away from their parents, obviously away from a godly upbringing. And it was going to be a difficult thing. I want us to notice, first of all, in verses 1 through 3, a seeming triumph of evil. A seeming triumph of evil. Notice how that in this time, as they were being pulled out of, out of the, the land of Israel into the land of Babylon, a, 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 a land more wicked, more godless than even Israel was, it seemed as if um, the evil was triumphing. It seems like hey, Satan was having his way. It was a, it was, it was a win for him. Verse 1, we find that the king Jehoiakim, we find that he was leading the land of Israel in an ungodly way. There was compromise among God's people. Jehoiakim was the son of Josiah. Do you know what that means? Do you remember remember as Josiah came to the throne and he set his heart to seek after the Lord and uh, he he called for the temple to be cleaned out because it had gotten dusty and dirty and full of full of junk and they they called for a a cleaning crew to come in and clean it out and they they found the book of the law and the the book of the law was brought to them by Shaphan and 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 they read the book of law and what happened do you remember what happened with Josiah how did he respond how did he respond to the he he wept but he rent his clothes he rent his clothes he took it really seriously we need to have that type of approach to the word of God and so they began to set things in order. They got the Passover back in order. And it was some great times of revival under Josiah there in Israel. But then comes along his, his son, this Jehoiakim. And Jeremiah 36 in verse number 1 says, And it came to pass in the fourth year Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying... And so the word of the Lord was delivered to Jehoiakim. And you remember when he delivered that message from Jeremiah delivering this message, you remember what happened? Bible goes on to say in verse number five, Jehoiakim was 20 and five years old. And when he um, began to reign and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem and he did that, which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And this was kind of his characteristic. That's a summary of his life. He did that, which is evil in the sight of the Lord. But the Bible goes on to say in that same chapter, and it came to pass that when uh, Jehodi had read three or four leaves, 
He cut it with a penknife and cast it into the fire that it was on the, her- on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. You know, this man had no respect for the word of God at all. None. Here we have Daniel growing up in this environment that used to know, used to know revival, used to know a sensitivity to the word of God, but now we have a king sitting on the throne who cares nothing about the word of God. There's a compromise among God's people, and that's very important for us to understand. God goes on to say to Jeremiah, you write it again. You write it again. Can you imagine? He didn't have a, he didn't have a, a MacBook or a, you know, a, a, a processor. You write it again and take it, uh, take it back to him. And it just reminds me that you know, men might, might despise the word of God. They might tear it up. They might try to get rid of it. But God's word stands. It stands, and it's still authoritative. And so uh, Jeremiah did just that, but it doesn't negate the fact that Jehoiakim had a, dis, uh, he had a hatred towards the word of God. And so I, I do just realize this, that, that the people there were compromising. They were walking away from the leadership down to the people. They were walking away from God. And what's very interesting here, in that context of this compromise, we find that God allows a foreign nation to come in and take captives out of the land. It reminds me of this, that there was a capturing of future potential. When God's people are sinning and when they're compromising, there will be a capturing of future potential. Look at who was taken here in Daniel chapter number uh, one and verse number three. It says they were to take the children and of the king's seed and of the prince's children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science. These guys were the cream of the crop. And Nebuchadnezzar says, listen, I want you to get the best of the best and I want you to bring them over here. We're going to retrain them, we're going to indoctrinate them, we're going to use them for our advantage. And so as God's people were compromising the word of God, not following the word of God, God allows a foreign, a foreign king, a pagan king who knew nothing of God to come in and to take the potential, the future potential of the land of Israel. They were captured. Ashpenaz, the chief of staff, if you will, Nebuchadnezzar, he had this role. You're to find these. You're to handpick them. You're to take the best of the best. You're to take the best of the best. No blemish. Uh, Very skillful. These guys did well in school. (laughs) They understood languages and science. The best of the best. Listen, even today, as as you sit here, you are, you're among few, few, of your generation that are sitting in a Bible college preparing to serve the Lord. If you haven't noticed, people are not just you know, flocking to altars and churches saying, I'll, I'll serve the Lord in full-time ministry. And you might not get the best grades and you might not feel the best about yourself, but friends, you, you are something, you're something that uh, really stands out in a generation the best of the best. And as I say that, just remember this, that, that Satan is after you, and he wants to rob you of your future potential. Where are you going to be in five years from now? What's your life going to look like? What are you going to believe? What positions are you going to still take? Are you going to still be pure? Satan wants to rob God's people of their future potential. 
these young people were very, 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 very qualified for great things in life. And yet here they are being taken captive to a, to a foreign nation that knew nothing of God, hated God. I'm reminded of what the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 and verse number 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about sinking whom he may devour. That verse is for you and me. It's real. We're not, we're not on a playground here. This is a real deal. And you've put an X on your back. You've put a, you've been a big target on your back by saying, hey, I'll follow the Lord. Satan's after you. All oh, the potential that sits in this room, what a, what a great thing. Be careful, Satan is after that. And we see uh, the squandering of future potential because of, because of compromise. I read a statistic last week. Some of you might know uh, the name Don Sisk. I, I saw that he, uh, he mentioned, and he, he keeps up with this as a person with a heart for missions. He says 2%, just 2% of the graduates from, from independent Baptist Bible colleges in America end up on the mission field. Just 2%. And I realize that even as you know, we are, we're preparing for the ministry, Satan wants to take you and get you all distracted and rob you of your future potential. He wants to just take it. And we see this happening here in, in the land of Babylon. Compromise and disobedience has consequences that are long-standing. And if Satan can get you to compromise, if he can trip you up, he certainly will, and he wants to. And so this is what was going on there in, in Daniel's life. There was a seeming triumph of evil. What's going to happen now? Are these guys going to make it? Are they just going to go along with the flow of this pagan society there in Babylon? Are they just going to live and, you know, and change their life and just blend in? What's going to happen? There's a seeming triumph of evil. I want us to go on in verse number five and notice a scheming method of the world. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle, friends. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Even as Brother Bob was preaching last night and talking about the, uh, about the, the issues that happen between people, we have to remember people are not the enemy. Uh, there, there, there is a, there's a reality that there's a real battle that is waging to get you all mixed up in unresolved bitterness and, to, and to, to get you to waste years of your life over that. We're in a spiritual battle in these things. And so the Bible tells us we are, we are definitely in, the, in, in that type of situation. We're in this, this battle and we must be aware of that. And here in Babylon, here with Daniel and his three friends, oh, Satan was scheming against them. Notice verse number five with me. So the king gets them over there. This wasn't a pleasant thing. They're dragged over to Babylon. Remember, they're being ripped away from their family. There's a lot of emotions probably soaring in their hearts. I'm pretty certain that Daniel's probably somewhere around the age of 16, young. That's, that's a lot to handle for any person. And so here he is, he's being brought over along with his friends and others, the, 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 the children of the king and the children of the princes and, and so on. They're being brought over there. And, and one of the first things the king tries to do is, is wine and dine them. Notice in verse number five, the world or Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, I'm going to give you my diet. 
You enjoy this worldly diet, this diet that is out of this world. This is, this is something you haven't even gotten back there in, in Israel. This is something truly amazing. And he, it says here, gave him daily provisions of the king's meat, the king's meat. That wasn't something you got at the, you know, at the, 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 uh, the half price food store down the street. This was the king's meat. This was really good stuff. This was maybe the difference of, you know, going to Cracker Barrel and getting a steak and then, you know, going to, uh, you know, what, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse or something like that. This was the good stuff. And the wine which he drank. And, and after three years, three years of this, three years of this, and being able to eat what you wanted and as much as you wanted and, and top quality, the king's meat was the best of the best. Imagine going to state dinners. Have you ever watched a state dinner, maybe up at, uh, uh, you know, video footage of that up at the White House? Uh, imagine going to a state dinner over and over for three years. You notice what his purpose was? That at the end, uh, they might stand before the king. No, you are what you eat. You ever talk to somebody that works at McDonald's, they they decide really quick, you should not eat McDonald's. More Chick-fil-A. Eat more Chick-fil-A. You are what you eat. Do you know what what was going on in these lives? They would be fed by the king and it would get their heart. Uh, The king could get them to do anything and his whole purpose was, hey, uh, you eat at my table and then you do what I say. You stand in my presence. Isn't that what the text says? Is, is that, that his whole point was that they would be able to stand before him. They'd be able to do his bidding, stand in his, his presence in that time. What we enjoy and are entertained by will fundamentally change us. These guys were going to enjoy this food and the Bible doesn't tell us about the other captives that were, that were brought there, but there were, there were other individuals that were brought there, but there were, there were four of them, Daniel and his three friends, that said, no, no, we're not going to go this way, but they were offered this. And friends, I'm just reminded of the fact that the world is still offering us many dainties, many pleasurable things, many things that taste good or seem to taste good on the outset, but what they're really after is your heart. Your heart. So the world's scheming against them. Verse number six wasn't just that. The Bible says they go on to change, change their names. The world doesn't just want you to enjoy their, their food, their pleasures. But the world would like you to embrace their distinctives. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to have a new identity this is not a small thing. This was a, this was a big deal. And it says there that Daniel's name was going to be changed to Belshazzar. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. That's a good thing to remember. God's the one that's in control. He's the one that's overall. But his new name would be Lady Protect the King. And we, we, talk about, we talk about a new identity, your role. No longer are you reminded by your name that God is judge. You're, you're now going to be reminded every time you hear this. Your role is to worry about Nebuchadnezzar. Protect the king. Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious. Yahweh has been gracious. A name that inspired reverence, 
inspired praise. But now, Shadrach, I'm fearful. I'm fearful. You know, the world would love to just get you to identify with your fears. Some of you have fears right now. Fears, you know, can I make it? Can I, do, can I do this? You know what? As long as you look at yourself, you'll not go anywhere. But if you look at the God who called you, you'll be able to go somewhere. None of us have it. None of us have anything to offer this world. But the world would love, and Satan would love to keep you shackled by your fears, get you to identify with them, and you spend, you spend money, time, effort preparing for the ministry, and then you get out and be all shackled with your fears. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. Oh, Satan would love to keep you identified that way. Mishael, who is what God is? Well, the answer is no one, nothing. Another name uh, causing awe of God. And, and now his name, uh, uh, Meshach, is I am despised, contemptible, humbled before my God, little g. So we just see this, this changing of their identity that was brought about. Azariah, Yahweh has helped. And now Abednego, servant of Nebo. You're no longer uh, one that, that looks to God as the, the one who's helped you. You are my, reminded of the fact that you serve a different God. You serve a different king. Satan schemes to rid you of every identity, every trace of your identity with Jesus Christ. Wants to get you focused on other things. He can't take your salvation, amen? Isn't that a good thing? Now, you might be struggling with things today, but listen, if you can go back to a time where you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you, you are a blessed individual. You have a blessed hope. You have something to look forward to. You have no need to be hopeless. But Satan wants to rob you of your identity and, and cause you to identify with other things. You remember Peter? Here's a man that said, hey, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, uh, Jesus says to him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not shown this to you, but my father which is in heaven. This was a good realization. You have realized that I am the very God. I am God in the flesh. I am deity. He says, that's a good thing, and on this truth, I'm going to build my church. To a campfire outside the judgment hall. Hey, aren't you with that Galilean? No, not me. Not me. I'm, I'm pretty sure your speech, your, your accent, I'm pretty sure you're, you're with him. No, not me. And you know how that ends up? Peter that night cursing and using vile words to show and to prove, hey, I'm not with him, I'm not identified with Christ. Well, if that could happen to Peter, could that happen to us? Listen, I am, I am disturbed by the amount of walking away from Jesus Christ. People that are posting it out, and listen, I mean, uh, social media has, it, has its place, in, 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 but mostly it, it brings about problems and confusion and, and, and so on. But it's amazing how many times people are coming out into the, um, to the midst of that and just saying, hey, I'm done. I'm done. I'm walking away from it. I'm, I'm abandoning it. I'm just moving on. Listen, in our generation, there are people that are walking away from the faith. I dare say that in this room, I hope it's not the case, but there is the potential that some of you will make statements like that in the future. Why? I went to college with some. 
grieves my heart today to see where they are. We, were, we used to be on the same road. We're not on the same road anymore. We're not talking about preferences. We're talking about fundamental truth being given up on. Identifying with different groups that are godless, questioning the word of God. So, so very sad. And that's what was going on here is Satan's trying to give them a new identity and, and Satan's still trying to do that today. He wants you to get, uh, get you to identify with anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't do it. Don't do it. I think today, and I think it's become more clear as, as our, our nation's running away from God. You know, it used to be that Christianity and conservatism sometimes got on the same highway. But it's striking to me how that Christianity and conservatism are, are, are parting ways. And just because someone's a Christian does not mean they're a, cons- uh, a, a, a conservative, or I should say that the other way around. Just because someone says they're a conservative doesn't mean they're a Christian. And you just be very, very careful about, about identifying with things other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He needs to be our identifier. Listen, in, in your, your public persona, how long does it take people to figure out that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? How far do they have to scroll before they find out you believe the Bible and you're unashamed to identify with Jesus Christ? How many conversations do they have to have with you before they find out, ah, he is a Christian she is a follower of Jesus Christ and is unashamed of it. And Satan wants us to identify with something other, and he doesn't much care what you identify with, even good things, but if you're not identifying and saying lock solid in your identification with the Lord Jesus Christ, friends, you're off track. You're off track. The test is really going to come out there in the world. Sometimes it's easy inside of an environment where you're being encouraged and there's some accountability. It's easier in in an environment like this. Friends, you need to to be solid in your identification with, with God. Here Daniel is. He's brought into a foreign land and now his name, his very name is being changed. Your name's something something special. It's yours. Now his very name is being changed to something very different that identifies them with with others than God. So, what is your identity? I encourage you to think about that. I know you've heard a lot of preaching about that here. (laughs) You're a child of the king. Don't get over that. You may not have a father that follows God. You're a child of the king. You're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your creator is supreme over all. Remember who you are. Don't forget, because when you you get out, and when you go out into this this pagan, Babylon-like world, they're going to constantly be calling you away from your identity. Don't budge. Don't budge. Notice the strong faith of, of Daniel in verses 8 through 21. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he did not defile himself with the king the king's meat, the portion of the king's meat. He purposed. Notice that Daniel had a settledness in his heart. And Daniel's leading, by the way, 
whether you realize it or not, someone's watching you. It seems like Daniel's kind of always ahead of the pack with, the, with his three friends, but Daniel had some leadership there, and, and you have leadership to somebody here and to somebody at home. Someone's watching your life. And in Daniel, we see this, this settledness, this, this settled reality that I'm just going to do right no matter what comes up against me. And the idea of purpose here is to, to set yourself, to fix conclusively. Not, it's not up for debate. It, it's fixed. It's settled. It's, it's done. We're not going to go revisit this. We're not going to rehash this. We're not, you know, in five years from now, I'm not going to rehash that. I am who I am in God. I'm settled. The word of God is authoritative in my life. It's settled. So Daniel purposed in his heart. He, he had said it. it. It reminds me of what David said. My heart is fixed, O oh God. My heart is fixed. And Daniel had set his heart long before this situation. Just remember that the time to set your heart and your convictions and your, your position is not in the midst of conflict, in the midst of temptation. It's, the, it's time to do it now, ahead of it. Get prepared. Know where you stand now, settling what you believe must happen before the challenge arises. That's why this is such a great environment in which you can, you can work through some of those things. You can ask the questions. You can get the, the information that you need. And you can allow God to work in your heart and settle some of those convictions. But they will be tested. They will be tested just like Daniel's. wonder what caused Daniel to be settled in his conviction it's just meat. Come on, it's just meat. Just a little wine. You know, the Bible says in Exodus 34 and verse number 15, speaking about eating the, the meat offered to idols and from others, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and go whoring after their gods and do sacrifice unto their gods and one call thee and eat and thou eat his, of his sacrifice. It speaks of, hey, there's a, there's a principle that God gave to his people. Don't, don't, don't accept that meat offered to the, those idols. Don't follow after that. Don't let your heart fall in love with that. Proverbs tells us, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. What did Daniel set his, his heart upon? What was, what was his understanding of, of, the, of the word of God? Well, all the way back in the book of Moses, he, he's told, you are to be careful about this type of thing. We'll see a little bit more later on, but, but he was to be careful about this type of thing. And I just want us to realize his settledness did not come, well, it was my mom and dad that said, so that's important. They taught him a lot of good things, but listen, that's not going to keep you for the rest of your life. You've got to know where you stand. Well, Pastor Van Gelder, uh, uh, his position isn't going to keep you for the rest of your life. The, the position of the school isn't going to keep you for the rest of this life and your life. When you go out face to face in ministry, you've got to know your answer. Now's the time to work on that. Ask God to develop a settledness in your heart. When we begin to get our cues from the world, and I should also say when we begin to get our cues from other Christians... Listen, if, if, if other Christians are the Bible that you are reading, you're going to wind up in some sorry places. Similar to the grief and, and just the, the struggle that I see in, in people walking away from the faith is how many Christians are simply questioning God's word. Remember the first question in God's word? Do you remember? Who was it? Help me out here. Satan. Yea, hath God said. 
I see some Christians and that it seems like they just have nonstop questions about the word of God. God wants us to be more settled than that. Is it true or not? Is this book that you hold, is it true or not? Does it have final authority in our lives? Daniel had settled his conviction on the word of God. What he had been taught, yes, by his parents, but now he was being tested on it and it was his conviction. Daniel purposed in his heart. He did not go up to Ashpenaz or or the prince of the eunuchs and say, hey, listen, my mommy and daddy said I couldn't do this. Purposed in his heart. His heart. What have you purposed in your heart? Have you purposed to remain pure in your heart? Have you purposed to stand on this book no matter what winds come against you? Have you purposed not to compromise to try to grow a ministry? What have you purposed in your heart? What about the other followers of God? Well, listen, there's some other ones that came over from Israel and they're not doing this and what about them? Why don't we just... Why don't we just let it go and, 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 and go easy and just kind of relax about this whole thing and go along with them? No, Daniel purposed in his heart and he had three friends that followed along with him. There were other captives, no doubt, that went along with the, the king's edict. <laughs> Bring it on. This is great stuff. Might have looked good for a little bit, but didn't end up that way. The word of God is our foundation. It was Daniel's foundation the word had told him about these things and what he was to do when faced with this type of situation. And he had settled his heart on it. But notice not just his settledness, his stand in verse number eight, it was a right stand. Therefore, he requested of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He requested, he sought, he asked a question. Sometimes in, in our youthfulness, it's really easy to just make accusations. Could I encourage you young men with something? Learn to ask questions. Young ladies too, but sometimes for us guys, I think it maybe a little bit more of a matter. Learn to ask questions. Here he is. He asks. He makes an appeal. He didn't demand. He was respectful. But he asked them, could I, could I do this? I remember uh, it was several years ago now, I was called by... Um, one of the lieutenants, and maybe you've heard me share this story at the, the police department that I serve as the chaplain in. And he said, hey, I have a question for you. Um, would you be okay if, if um, to pray publicly, and oftentimes you, you'd be evented, invited to city events and police public events and so on and asked to pray? He says, would it be okay if, if, if you just didn't pray in Jesus' name? Well, I said, I think you know the answer to that. And he was a believer. And he says, I, I know, but I, I, I was told to call and ask you. I said, I'd like to talk to the chief. And so I set up a, an appointment to go talk to the chief, who is also a believer. He was led to the, on the Lord uh, in northern Ohio by a, by a Baptist pastor. And uh, before he came in, was our chief. So I went and talked to him. I said, what's, what's this all about? And he says, well, our law department has, has, is, is a little skittish about... about um, whether or not we would um, we get in trouble if, if you continue to pray in Jesus' name. And so I said, well, could I, could I give you some documentation that says, hey, we have, we have standing to be able to do this? And, and I did. And so 
praise the Lord, the chief took it over to the law department, gave him the, the documentation and said, hey, um, we're going to stand with this and we're going to let Josiah do what Josiah does. And uh, I was able to continue to pray in Jesus' name. It wasn't too much longer. I had another um, engagement, with some sort of city gathering. I forget what it was. And in walks the head of the law department, and I hadn't talked to him since then. And I was able to have a conversation, a gracious conversation with him, tell him, tell him why I was here, get to know him, what my burden is in the, in the city of Kettering. And the Lord seemed to just deal with that situation, resolve that situation. But you know what it started with? some questions. What's up with this? How can we work through this? A right, a right position. We can get all mad and, and throw it all over social media and say, hey, we can't believe this is what, what's happening to us. Or we can have a, a Daniel approach with an appeal. And I want to encourage you about that. I have a lady in our, in our church. So she's a shut-in and she's been told she can't even hang on her door at Christmas time. Jesus is the reason for the season. Others can hang different things about Islam and others can hang, uh, hang things for Hanukkah, but she cannot have her thing. Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, she's sad to process through this and ask questions and, 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 and deal through it. It's important that we take a right stand and leave the results up to God. Daniel didn't just take a right stand. He took a respectful stand. He came to the, uh, to the prince of the eunuchs and he uh, had favor and, uh, and tender love. And he says, in verse number 10, uh, he said, uh, the, the prince of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your face worth, uh, worse like than the other children which are after your sort? And you're going to endanger my head to the king. So he's worried about this. He, he's legitimately worried about it. Like his life is on the line. But he had favor, Daniel had favor with this man. Why? There was a level of respect that Daniel had towards this, towards this individual. He respected him as a person. He, he respected him as an individual. And, and Daniel goes on to say, then Daniel said to Melzar, whom the prince of, uh, whom, uh, of the prince of the eunuchs that, that had been set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, I beseech thee ten days. And let them give us pulse to eat, doesn't sound very great, and water to drink, and then let our countenance be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that eat the portion of the king's meat as, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So here I got, a, I got a suggestion. I have a solution. I just see respect written all over Daniel's response here. I have a solution. I'm not calling you down. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm asking. I'm appealing. I'm asking you to, to help me through on this. He didn't call them stupid perverts. You know what? It is, it is amazing how sometimes you, you're going to find this, that some people who even name, uh, bear the name Baptist really mess it up really good in the way they, they respond to this world, in the way they talk to them. Arrogant, calling them names, calling them down, that's no way to go about it. Your demeanor matters. Right stand matters. But your respect matters. And Daniel demonstrates for us a respect even toward a, a man that did not know the Lord. He didn't lose it on him. Daniel just took a stand and influenced his friends to do the same with respect. Respect goes a long way. And we need to learn that. 
Notice Daniel's success here in verses 14 and on. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the the portion of the king's meat. Thus, Melzar took away the portion of the, the meat and the wine that they should drink. And gave them pause on pulse. I, I should just add here as a side note, when Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat and not the, the king's wine. Listen, there was a time back, um, maybe you remember this, back in, in college, um, the, the pastor that pastors McGonago, um, and I'm forgetting his name right now, Pastor Roberts, he came and preached a chapel message and challenged the students, us students, uh, not to get wound up in drinking. And, and to take a biblical standpoint. I thought that was the craziest chapel message I'd ever heard. Like, don't you know you're at Baptist College Ministry? None of us drink. <laughs> and then, started in the ministry. And I remember, it was around 2007, 2008. I graduated in 2007. And I remember a book came out from a, a professor Bible college or a Christian college professor and started to question, question the whole thing about social drinking. And then I, I hear more and more people questioning this whole thing. You know what? Daniel's, Daniel's purposing not to defile himself with the king's wine back then is still a good purpose for you and I today. It is important. Don't get wound up in this. There are pastors that have lost their ministry over it, but there are, there are people that you need to rescue from that and not encourage them into that culture. So Daniel had purposed himself. No, notice the, the, king, uh, the, the prince of the eunuch says, all right, I'm taking the king's meat that you were commanded to, to eat, and I'm taking the wine that you're commanded to drink, and you can have pulse and water. Great. <laughs> Couldn't you have found anything else in Babylon to, to feed us? But in, in, anyway, I mean, that's, that's what they ate, and they were satisfied. You know what's interesting here? It seems like the Lord supernaturally, supernaturally caused their, their reflection, their faces, their, their bodies uh, to be stronger and look better uh, than the others. God had done a work here. He honored the faith. He honored the faith of Daniel. He honored this, this position that Daniel, uh, Daniel took there. And so it's, it's just so very important to see this, this stand and how that God brought the success out. Sometimes, there are going to be times in the ministry that, that you are faced with a decision, a stand, and you don't know if you're going to win. You don't know how it's going to end up. You don't know if there's going to be success. We were going through a, a bit of a discouraging time a couple of years back. And my wife and I, um, we, we took some family vacation and we stopped by. I'm not a big, um, a big military history buff, but we had stopped by this, uh, this, this fort out in Pennsylvania called Fort Necessity. Anyone been there? So Pastor Shaw has a few others. It's kind of an interesting thing, but it, it caught my attention. If you remember, if you remember watching the, the video ahead of time, it spoke about how that Washington had come to this point in the, in the French-Indian War, and he, he felt like this meadow, this place, he was going to need to take a stand there. And, and hence the, the, the name of it, Fort Necessity, was necessary to take a stand. Now, if you look at it, the, the fort is small, and it's out in the middle of a meadow surrounded by trees. It's like the last place that you should set up a fort and expect to win. But for whatever reason, he felt, this is the place I must take a stand. And I was sitting in there, and I heard that, and that flagged in my mind. And then we went and sat out 
uh, they have some benches out uh, along the tree line overviewing the, the fort. And it's just a, I don't think it's much more than maybe 50, 50 feet across, maybe 100 feet across the fort, round, uh, you know, wooden fort, if you can capture that in your mind, old, old timbers uh, upright, and, and there, there was a bank of dirt around where they could get down uh, uh, below and, and have some shelter from, um, from the gunfire, and et cetera. So overlooking this, and it just, it just, it hits me that this is a difficult place for him to, for him to, to take this stand, but he felt he needed to, and he wasn't even assured of, of success, but he took the stand, and he ended up losing that battle. Like, well, this is quite a, this is quite a, uh, a national park, you know, commemorating a loss. But something else really stood out to me, that it was that battle that set up George Washington to be able to win the battles that he won in the future. And it was specifically said in the, in the video ahead of time. That really stood out to me because there's some battles in the ministry you won't even know if you're going to win that battle and get to the other side, but it's a battle that needs to be taken and you need to leave the success in God's hands. And you don't know what God's preparing you for or what he's doing in your life and what he's going to do through your life with that. Here Daniel is. Am I going to win? Am I going to, am I going to be able to take this stand? And notice here he's, he's having success. God honors his faith. Their success. Leave that in the hands of God. Go forward in trust. Now, thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Not in your own way, in Christ. Not in your own understanding, your own wisdom, or your friend's input, but in Christ. And make us manifest, makes known the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. And I'm so thankful to, to read this story and just realize Daniel took a stand and God make him, made him successful in it. God gave him the victory in that moment. We get so afraid to take stands. What's going to be on the other side? What's the world going to say about us? What's my mom and dad going to say about me? What are my friends going to say about me? What are the other people in ministry going to say about me? What are the other Christians in town going to say about us? The reality is we must choose to take a stand and leave the success in God's hands. But in this situation, God gave the victory. Daniel stood with success. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 and 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. I love the picture. If you've ever done a study of the, the armor of God, the, the truth, the, that belt of truth is what kind of pulls all the pieces of armor together. Listen, Daniel had to stand in that society with truth. He had to be unmovable in it. And friends, the only thing that's going to keep all of your armor together and you standing and being unmovable is the, the truth of God's word. And your standing, your position on that. You can't budge from that. That's not just, you know, that's just what preachers have to say when they come through. No, you have to, you have to be rock solid. You've got to be able to go back to the word of God and say, this is why I do what I do, because the Bible says so. And here Daniel has success. Why? Because he listened to his friends or, or just did what his parents had taught him? No, because it's a stand on the word of God. I'm standing with God on this matter. And you, when you and I live in an ungodly culture, your, your challenges are going to be unavoidable. They're, gonna, they're going to come. But your convictions must remain unmovable. Unmovable. You have to know where you stand, and Daniel did. Daniel purposed in his heart. God gave him the success. I want to ask you, 
where's your, where's your footing today? Are you just kind of writing, writing you know, what other people are saying or do you have a footing on the word of God yourself? Do you have an unmovable position on the word of God yourself? Where are your roots? Daniel was unmovable and we should be as well. Would you bow with me? And let's talk to the Lord for a few moments here.